18 again this evening. I think this will be the last time. If nothing else, you've gotten to hear John 17 read uh, a number of times, and I want to do that one last time this evening. May the Lord help us here as we read and consider this incredible prayer. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, 
that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. <clears throat> Let's pray here. Father, we do ask that you would teach us now by thy Spirit from this part of your word, this incredible prayer that Christ gave on the eve of the crucifixion. We know there's things here that we will just barely scratch the surface of this evening, but we do ask that you would bring truth home to our hearts, each one of us in our own particular needs. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to look at the last three verses, 24 through 26 this evening. <clears throat> so far, we've seen that there are three main petitions that Jesus has prayed concerning his disciples. First of all, that they may be kept from evil and the evil one in verse 15. Secondly, that they would be sanctified, that is, that they would be set apart and made holy as the word of God is applied to their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 17. And uh, we mentioned that Jesus not only prayed for their sanctification, he lived and died and rose again for their sanctification. That's in verse 19. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. The third thing then that he prayed for concerning his disciples, um, and I would say for all the tr true church, is found in verse 20. Or the fact that it is for the whole church is found in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And he was praying for the church uh, throughout the ages that they would be one, even as he and the Father are one. That's the amazing part of it, really, not just that they're one, but they're one as the Father and Son are one. He brought it up, first of all, in verse 11, uh, at the end of the verse, that they may be one, even as we are. And then what we looked at uh, last time, 21 through 23, it's brought up a number of times there. We said that this oneness is a spiritual, well, first of all, it's a scriptural oneness. Um, it has 
uh, its basis in the essentials of the Word of God. So it's scriptural, it's also spiritual, not uh, and uh, external uniformity, but rather an organic unity. So it's spiritual. It's also observable, something that the world could see uh, because it's manifested in outward actions. And then lastly, we said that um, this has to do with the fact that it is a oneness that is incomprehensible. It has to do with the very nature of God, the love and oneness that the Father has for the Son. So this oneness, it's, it's scriptural, it's spiritual, it's observable, and it is incomprehensible. So that brings us then to verse 24. And here we see the last great petition of Christ for his followers. And I would say surely this is uh, the most amazing of all, if you, could, if you can say that, because they're all amazing. But this seems to me uh, to be the most amazing. And it can almost be considered a summary and goal of the others. So let's just read this, uh, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. I think you could say it this way. He prayed that we would be kept from the evil one, and that we would be sanctified, and that we would be kept in unity, so that we all might be with him in heaven and Behold his glory. You see, it's these others lead up to this final one. Uh, this was the goal of the others. So he is praying for all Christians at all times, everywhere, that they would be with him in eternity and behold his glory. Sometimes we ask the question, what is heaven like? Well, the fact is we know very little of what heaven is really like. But we do know it is to be with Christ. It is the person, not the place, which makes heaven heaven. You can talk about all the different aspects of heaven, but it's the person of Christ that makes heaven heaven. Uh, and so he's asking that they would be brought to heaven where he is and experience the immediate presence of his person and his glory there in heaven. Now, it's not like the disciples hadn't seen something of the glory of Christ. Um, in fact, John starts out his gospel by saying this, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So they saw his glory, and every true Christian sees something of the glory of Christ, the glory of God in the face of Christ. They, they mentioned things uh, related to grace and truth, that he was full, a glory that was full of grace and truth. But you see, even that, as 
marvelous and amazing as it was, had to do with seeing him in his state of what we call humiliation here on earth. And much of his glory was yet at that time and even now hid from their eyes and our eyes. They had not seen his unveiled splendor, his exalted state as the God-man who had triumphed over sin and uh, rose from the dead and exalted back to heaven. They, they had not seen that. And I got a little glimpse, a little bit of it there uh, at the transfiguration. But even then, that was momentary. And Jesus is saying, I want it to be the case that they would be brought to heaven with me that they might see my glory. Me in the state of exaltation that God, that you're going to put me in. Um, let me let me read here how Lloyd Jones put it. He says, Jesus says in effect, they have seen me here in the flesh. They have seen me as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. They have seen me as one who had no place to lay his head. They have seen. They will see me with a crown of thorns upon my brow, and they are going to look upon me with blood oozing out of my hands and my side. They have seen me in the days of my humiliation, and have believed on me, Father, and I would that they should see me thus also, see me in my glory, and gaze and gaze upon me as I truly am and as I shall be. So it's a prayer that all of those that he has saved and brought to himself would be brought to heaven and be able to see the glory of Christ um, in his risen, exalted state as the God-man. I think this glory that's spoken of here is the glory that God has given him as the Savior of the world. We're told that God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. It's a special glory the Father gives him as the God-man for his work in redemption as he returns to heaven. Now, the, the scene that comes to my mind when I, th- I think of this, this would be the opening scene of what Jesus is wanting his followers to see. And you might say it this way, this is the coronation of the one who fought against sin and Satan and evil men and won the battle. Now he's the king of glory and he is to be praised by all those whom he has redeemed. What portion am I talking about? I'm talking about Psalm 24, so let's turn to that. This just a little uh, glimpse, I think, of what we should think about. Psalm 24. Verse 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, 
and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I think this is just a, a, a little um, picture of Christ entering uh, heaven as he's conquered here on earth and beginning to experience some of this glory that is his as the God-man for his work of redemption. And what, uh, what we're seeing here, what Jesus is explaining for us here, is that God's desire from all eternity was, was that his Son might be glorified. We usually think of God sending his son because of his love for the world, and that's true. We, we shouldn't deny that, that people might be saved. But in an even greater way, he sent his son because he loved his son and wanted to see him glorified and highly exalted. And the son, in love, undertook this mission. God sent him on this mission. And out of love, the Son undertook this mission uh, so that people might be saved. That's, we, we think of that part. But also that the Father might be glorified. The Father sent him that he might be glorified. He came and did the Father's will in love so that the Father might be glorified. And that's, that's how the whole um, prayer began. You remember, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Christ prays here that all those the Father has given him may behold his glory, which he had because of his work of redemption, and uh, also that they would behold something of this love that the Father had for the Son before the foundation of the world. Now, I have to say, I think this is true of all of us, I know it's true of me, that in our present condition, in our present state, we have very little of the right idea of this glory that we're talking about here. Uh, it is beyond us now. In uh, the commentary that Lloyd-Jones wrote on this section, he makes an uh, issue here of the word behold, so that they may behold my glory. Now, uh, some translations just put the word see, and of course, behold does mean see, but it means more than that. And this is what he tries to bring out in his commentary. Uh, he says that uh, behold means to gaze upon. It's not just to look, but to gaze upon. Uh, it means to fix your eyes upon. And especially you think of fixing your eyes upon some extraordinary sight, something exceptional, something marvelous. Well, this is what Jesus is saying. He, he wants it to be that they would be brought to heaven so that they could fix their gaze upon this amazing thing of seeing his glory, beholding his glory. And he said, Lloyd-Jones says that the actual word there 
has the idea of continual, continual, going on, um, gazing, gazing upon, that they may continually behold my glory. So this is the desire of the Son of God for each one of us. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Well, that brings us to the last two verses. And uh, I think because of the way it's worded here, I think that verse 25 actually he's thinking more in terms of the immediate disciples when he uh, presents this uh, part, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. The these that he's speaking of right there has to do with his original disciples. The world hasn't known, but these have known. Now, uh, let me just read what F.F. Bruce says concerning this. He says, By worldly standards of success, Jesus had little to show for his mission. He had come to make the Father known, but the vast majority of his hearers refused the knowledge which was offered them. The merest handful of men and women, a very unimpressive company at that, had recognized him as the sent one of God and had come to know the Father in him. Yet to them his mission on earth was confidently entrusted as he dedicated them to the Father to this end. His whole mission was entrusted to these few people. If you think about that, that is pretty incredible. But it says, uh, I like the way F.F. Bruce put it, yet to them his mission on earth was confidently, yet to them his mission on earth was confidently entrusted. How could he do that? Well, he could do that because he'd perfectly done the will of the Father. And he knew that these were the ones that the Father had given him. He said that over and over in this prayer. These were the ones that, that God had given him. So he rested in that, and he prayed for these, these ones here. And this is what he prayed. O righteous Father. Now, I, that's the only time that phrase is used in the scriptures. O righteous Father. I don't know the significance of why he chose to address the Father that way right then. O righteous Father. Perhaps he's acknowledging God's righteous judgment upon the world that had refused to acknowledge God's revelation of himself in Christ because he brings that up the world has not known you John said this in, in uh, the first chapter of the gospel he said he speaking of Christ he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him so here here is the one who existed before the world, who made the world, who came into the world, 
who was the light of the world, yet the world did not know him, and only a handful out of the world believed that the Father had sent him. So he's saying, O oh, righteous Father, Father, you're righteous in your condemnation of the world. But in contrast to that, and this is the amazing thing, in contrast to that, we again see him commending those few who did believe. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. So he commends these few disciples, these few in the midst of the world that had gone on in unbelief and which had rejected Christ. These had believed. These had had uh, come to know that you, that the Father had sent the Son. Though they had much to learn, they knew something of his divine mission, and they knew that only he had the words of eternal life. Now, he says it this way. He said, I have made your name known. See, verse 26, I have made your name known to them. And that's, again, a phrase that comes up throughout this prayer, making known the name of the Father. And uh, that has to do with making known his character, the character of the Father, his attributes, those things which were clearly seen in what Jesus taught and what, how he lived. He was making known the name, the attributes, the character of the Father. And uh, especially, I think, the reality of the love of God, that aspect of his character. I have made known, I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. I, I say again, this, this aspect of the Father love, the Father love of the Son, the Father, the, the Father love for, for them as his people, um, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them <coughs> to the end. See, he demonstrated the everlasting loving character, the everlasting love of God to his people, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He was demonstrating that aspect of the character of God uh, to the disciples. So again, I would say the one great object of his ministry was to make the Father known. That's the way people are saved. You remember that. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This was what he came for, to make the Father known in his teaching, but even more than that, in his life, in his actions. I have made your name known to them. And... Then he says, 
I have made your name known to them and will make it known. Now, here's where I would say we're not talking just about the original uh, disciples here when he says that. And will make it known. That's a continuing work, not just for those original disciples, but for everyone down through the ages, every true believer. Um, He does that by sending the Holy Spirit to people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation all over the earth till the end of the world. And I would say, really, it goes beyond that. It goes on into eternity. When he says, and will make it known, I think he's doing that now, and he'll do that forever, right on throughout eternity. continuing to declare the Father's name as we're shown more and more of what the Father has uh, done for us in sending his Son as our Savior. I mean, that will go on throughout eternity. We're going to see more and more of what God has done for us in Christ, what was accomplished there on the cross. So... We are now benefiting from what it says and will make it known. That's going on right now, and it'll never stop. He is a holy father, a righteous father, a loving father, a gracious father. And Jesus has been making that name known throughout the church age and will continue this in the ages to come. And with this purpose in view, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. You see how that's worded? I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. It's about getting the love of God into fallen, sinful people. That they may know and feel in their own hearts a sense of that same love that you, that is the Father, has for the Son and express that love to others. In other words, his followers would be so transformed as God is continually made known to them that that God's own love for his Son will become their own love. Here's the way D.A. Carson says it. The love with which they learn to love is nothing less than the love amongst the persons of the Godhead. The love with which they learn to love is nothing less than that love that is among the persons of the Godhead.
Well, you might say with me, how can these things be? Well, I think part of the answer is found in the last three words. So that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. If Christ is in his people, it follows that they share in the eternal love which the Father has for the Son. If, if the Son is in you, then you're going to experience that eternal love that the Father has for the Son because the Son is in you. More than that, the love of Christ can actually f- flow through you out to God and to others because he lives in us. Now, I think that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And to me, when I was first reading this prayer, first few times when I began studying it here lately, I I thought, why isn't the Holy Spirit mentioned in this prayer? The fact is, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is implied all through this prayer. But you see it maybe the most clearly right in this phrase that Jesus ends the prayer with, I in them. This phrase, I in them, I, I believe is speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus had told them about earlier there in the upper room. John 14, uh, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. This is the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And then if you look on down to verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So he says, he ends off this prayer, I in them. And he, he says that in that day when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, he says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So I, I mean, that's just one example of, of many places in this prayer that the work of the Holy Spirit is spoken of. Well, so much of what we've looked at these past weeks is beyond our present knowledge and experience. And I think certainly it's true that um, 
the more a person is walking in the Spirit, the more he or she can understand and appreciate this uh, this prayer. And it's true also, the more he would be able to share f- with others. I feel like I've done a very weak and beggarly uh, presentation of a portion of Scripture that um, should just uh, make us um, cry out to God for more of what He has for us. This prayer is so high and holy, and I'm yet so low and unholy that I know that I've just scratched the surface here. But here's the here's the, the wonderful thing. He promised to continue to make the Father's known the Father's name known to his disciples. So we have this promise. Um, I have made your name known to them and will make it known. He will do that more and more for us. Um, the other amazing thing is is that he's not done praying for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. So these things that we've looked at here that he's prayed uh, in this prayer, I think are still part of that intercession for us, that we would be kept, that we would be sanctified, that we would be made one, that we would be eventually brought to heaven and behold his glory. These things are, are part of the ongoing prayer of Christ for his people. So what can we say? Well, I think we should say, let us press on to know the Lord. These things are for us, even though they seem so far beyond us. They are for us. And we know that his purpose in prayer is that they would be more and more a reality for us and that we would then be brought right on into his presence and glory in heaven. Well, I wanted to close then with uh, another quote from Lloyd-Jones. Do you know that you, a humbled child and ignorant Christian, who may feel you are more of a failure than anything else, buffeted by the devil, tossed here and there, do you know you are destined to experience these things? all these things that we've been talking about, that Jesus has been praying about, we're destined to experience these things. Now the enabling power of God and then the purpose of God to bring us right on to glory. He says, when you come to die, you will be with Christ. You will see his glory. You will behold it and you will become like him and enjoy that glory forever and ever. You and I, wherever we are at this moment, are going to look into the face of Jesus Christ in all his glory and will be made like him and enjoy him through, throughout all eternity. 
This is his will for us. And because he wills it, it is absolutely certain. Well, um, I, I'll close there. But again, I would just say, don't... Uh, well, you know this. We There's so much more than what we've looked at and I've been able to share with you. So continue to meditate upon this incredible prayer of Christ. I hope it at least has whet your appetite for that. <clears throat>